Father God, thank you so much that you love us, that you care for us, that you are good to us, and that nothing can stand between you and us. You are our God and we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that now as we come to your word, you would help us to listen, to understand, to apply it to our lives. Lord, we pray for our city at the moment. We pray that uh, these people that have caught COVID would recover quickly. We pray that this lockdown doesn't have to go on for long and that people will be able to get back to, to their livelihoods once more. We pray also for our world, Lord, which is in such need and we remember places like India where there are thousands of people dying every day from COVID. We pray that you would comfort them. Lord, we pray for those who have lost loved ones there and around the world that you would, that you would give peace. And we pray for your people in the midst of a world that is scared and afraid. We pray that your people, wherever we are, would be people of hope, people of joy amidst the pain. Not happiness, but joy, Lord. Lord, give us your joy. We need you in the midst of life. Lord, we pray that not only for the sickness that's going around, but also we pray for places like Myanmar, where people are fearing for their lives and being persecuted by the rulers. Lord, we pray that you would bring peace there. Our world has so many places, Lord. Bring your peace, we pray. Amen. Let me just uh, mute this one over here. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to read, it should be up on the screen for you as well, uh, if you are here in person. Uh, otherwise, grab your Bibles. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, William is allowed to go to the back table. Brilliant. Are you going to show your artwork to everyone on the screen afterwards, though, William? Yes. Okay, done. Perfect. Hebrews chapter 11. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, for it is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Now we're going to jump through all the way to verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Let's pause right there in Hebrews and jump back to Genesis chapter 12. And in fact, I'm going to read just a little bit before then as well. Uh, Terah, this is verse, chapter 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot. Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Ishar, or Iskar, were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. 
But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and she had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, that is, and his grandson Lot, that's the son of Haran's child, and he moved away, sorry, his son Haran's child, and he moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. And Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Now, if you look at the maps in the back of your Bible, you'll probably find that Haran is, if, if you see a picture of of uh, the Middle East, you'll see the sea, and then you've got Israel, and then across inland towards the east, you'll see Ur is usually marked there. The reason Ur is marked there is because somebody went for a dig and found a really big city and said, this must be the Ur that Abraham came from. The other guy who was on the dig said, rubbish, and said, actually, uh, I think it's north. Uh, and there's a lot of tradition that says it's a place called Ur-Fah, now, if you look on your newsletter, there's some copies at the back there. We've got a picture of houses from Urfa. Now, Urfa is, is, I reckon, Ur of the Chaldeans, mainly because if you're heading down to Canaan, if you're on the east, you first have to head up to get to Haran, which is a stupid way to go if you want to go down to somewhere. So, we're going from uh, Terra's Dignity's family from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is up north, and he heads to Haran. And do you know what the distance is that he would have travelled, that great distance that he moved? It's about 44 kilometres from Ur to Haran. So he didn't get very far, and he kind of got stuck there. So what happened next? The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous... And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. That's encouraging. Is anyone here 70-ish? Ish? Brilliant. The adventure starts now. He took his wife, Sarai, and his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And he headed for the land of Canaan. And when they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and there he set up camp beside the oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abraham traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. And there he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev which is the desert country at the bottom of the land of Canaan. Now, I suspect that many of us know the story of Abraham quite well. Because he is the, he's, he's a foundational character. This is where everything starts. In fact, around the world, he's probably one of the most famous people because he stands as, he's considered the father of, obviously, the Jewish people and out of them, us, the Christian people. But the... Uh, 
the Muslim people also look back to Abraham and trace their roots back to him. So he's, he's a famous kind of a guy. In the beginning, we know the story, everything is as it should be, and then people sin, they do what God said not to do, and there are consequences. They're cast out from the Garden of Eden. There's actually, there's actually two consequences. They're, they're separated from God, sin enters into the world, but the result of that is that slowly people start forgetting what God is like. They don't know Him. They don't know what, what He is like. They don't know what pleases Him. They don't understand His character. They, they, they can see enough to know that there is a God, but they don't actually know what He wants, who He is, how to relate to Him. We see this in Romans chapter 1. Paul speaks about this as well. And, and we see the big problem in Genesis 11, just before where we read, where people start building this tower to reach to the sky, which is probably an attempt to control God. They, they think if we can build a tower for God, then God's going to have to do our bidding kind of thing. They just don't understand who God is, and God arrives at that tower, has a laugh at them, and scatters them around the world. They don't know God. We don't know God. We don't know His heart, His character, his desires for us. But God made us and loves us and he wants to be with us. There's a song we sing that says you didn't want heaven without us. Uh, you didn't want earth without us. You know, we're heading towards the new creation. God didn't want to not have us with him. And so God decides to act, not because he needs us, but because he loves us. He starts the plan to do two things, not only to save us, but first to, to let us get to know him a little bit better. You don't go with someone unless you know them. You don't trust someone unless you know that they are trustworthy. So he chooses one man, Abraham, and Abraham is a little bit annoying because his name changes halfway through from Abraham to Abraham. So please excuse me if sometimes I say Abraham and sometimes I say Abraham. If I say George, I've gone wrong. Uh, Abraham, uh, and he says, I'm going to use Abraham to put my plan into effect. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church, was being stoned to death, just before he was stoned to death actually, he starts giving an account of Jesus. He tells them the story of God's great plan and one of the places he starts is with Abraham and he says that God called Abraham before he arrived in Haran and it seems to me that maybe it was Abraham who encouraged his dad Terah that we've got to go, we've got to go. But as I just read for us there a second ago, they got stuck in Haran, 44 kilometers. That's not even from here to the city. It's still home, it's still safe. In fact, if you look at the cities in that region, there's a city, uh, we've got evidence for a city called uh, Suruk, and one called Nahur, which sound very similar to the names of Terah's ancestors, Nahor, Nahur, Nahor, and Seruk, Seruk. So this is family land. This is where their ancestors have lived. They haven't left. 
They're stuck there. They've still got comfortable places. They're, they're getting rich. They're, they're gathering uh, servants and, and people and livestock. They, they're doing well. They're settled. They've got a house. The Pims have just moved down to Secret Harbour. They have a house. Imagine if now that you've got a comfortable house, God turns up and says, I want you to go and live on the streets with those who are homeless. I'm not saying God is saying that to you guys. But imagine that. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I've got a plan. So when Terah dies, Abraham moves. And, and, and God gives him this challenging command. And it's a challenging command. I want you to leave behind your country. I want you to leave behind your people. I want you to leave your family behind. You're doing well. I want you to leave it. I mean, yes, you don't have children of your own, but all of your relatives are here. By the way, he said nothing about taking Lot along. That, that was just nice of Abraham to do that, I suppose. We, we don't know much about Abraham's experience with God at this point. It wasn't that he was a good, godly man. What we do know from Joshua chapter 44, where Joshua speaks to the people of Israel and says, you've got to make a choice, are you going to worship the idols that your ancestors, Abraham's family, worshipped beyond the Euphrates of North. Abraham came from a family of idol worshippers. He came from a people who worshipped false gods. Remember, God's big plan starts with, I want people to know me. If nobody knows him properly, he's got to start introducing himself to someone who is not going to be good Christian material. He's just an ordinary pagan man. And God says to him, leave. In those days, a lot of people thought that their, their God was tied to their land or their people group. God's not just saying, leave home. He's saying, leave this all behind. You're going to leave behind the gods of your ancestors. You're going to leave behind the land which you think they provide for you on. I want you to go. I want you to leave the ways that you think secure your life and I want you to step out. And by the way, notice the way God says, I want you to go, okay God, where? To the place I'm going to show you. That's not much detail, is it? I don't know about you, but I would like a little bit more information. Have we got a house lined up when we get there, God? What God is promising Abraham is amazing, but the cost is high. And even the promises are, well, they're challenging promises. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you to bless all the peoples of the earth. They're, they're great promises. They're amazing promises, but they're also impossible promises. Remember, Abraham's no one important. God's not choosing him because he's impressive. And yet God says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great nation, says God. 
Well, that's interesting because we've just read that Abraham and Sarah, they're 75 years old, they haven't had any kids, it doesn't look like they're going to have any kids. There's issues there. It's really hard to become a great nation if you don't have kids. And yet, if you read through what God says to Abraham, there's, there's two words that get repeated over and over again. I will. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless those who curse you and I will... Rewind. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and I will do this. And everyone on earth will be blessed because of you. Abraham is being sent out as God's representative. To respond to Abraham is to respond to God. He's like an ambassador. Ultimately, God's plan is to bless the whole world through Abraham. And there's two ways he's going to do that. The main way is that Abraham and his family would show the world who God is. The Old Testament says that Israel was meant to be a, a holy nation, a nation of priests. Now, a priest is someone who stands between people and God and, and intercedes for them. That was the job of Israel, to go, this is our God. This is who God is. In fact, that's our job. We are a holy priesthood as Christians. Our job is to represent God to the world, uh, to other people, to, to the universe at large, and to say, isn't God amazing? And so God's saying to Abraham, I'm going to use you as the means to let people know who I am. You and your family. And ultimately what I'm going to do, I'm going to come as one of your family and people are going to look at that person, at Jesus, and they're going to go, there is the Father. And he will say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And it's all through this line of Abraham. And then, ultimately he's going to say, I'm not just going to let myself be known. I'm going to then say, will you trust me to save you? And he will rescue us back. And that's a blessing. But those are challenging promises for Abraham standing there. Because he's a nobody with no hope. And God's now saying, let go of your security. And Abraham does. He leaves his family, he leaves his people, he, he heads south, he's, he's obedient to the command. He says, I'm going to trust the God who speaks to me. He's got little information, but, but it's enough, and he heads off. People would have thought him nuts to leave a good thing behind. To trust in promises that just simply cannot come true. And it's not like it's a short journey. It's about 800 kilometers from Haran to the land of Canaan. It's a good month at caravan pace, apparently. I've never been in a, in a caravan with camels and all those things, but apparently they don't go too quickly. It's a long way. No different today. So. No different today. Camels are still slow? Caravans. Caravans are still slow. I don't know, Vili and Leonora have got a caravan, they're planning to go around Australia. I think they might go fast. It's also a one-way trip. Because Abraham never goes home. 
because it's no longer home for him. And, and he arrives in the land and he travels from north to south and eventually he arrives there at this oak of More, or also known as the tree of More. And God appears to him there and says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Up until this point, he's had no promise that the land would be given to him. He's gone on the promise, I'll make you into a great nation. And when he gets there, God says, by the way, this is your descendants' land. Again, little problem that he doesn't have any descendants. But Abraham is also very aware that the Canaanites are living in the land. It's occupied. It's a bit like me walking uh, Margaret into Les's house and going, well Margaret, this is the house that I'm giving your family. And Les is sitting there going, you might want to talk to me about that. These Canaanites are not followers of God. Uh, more is one of those words the oak of Moreh, the tree of Moreh. Moreh means teaching. And in that area, the religious people, you would often do your religious ceremonies and your religious teachings under groves of trees. So it seems like Abraham arrives at a Canaanite holy site. And there God says, Abraham, I'm going to give this land to you. And do you notice what Abraham does? He worships God. But he doesn't go to the local worship place. He builds an altar to God. He calls on the name of the Lord who has called him. He worships both at, uh, both at Shechem and then again near Bethel. He starts worshipping the God of the promise. They're impossible promises, but he thinks God is good for his word. He doesn't join in with the locals because he knows the real God and they are not worshipping the real God. He doesn't settle down. His whole life he's a traveller. Hebrews goes on, we didn't read this bit, but it goes on to say that he was looking forward to a city being built by God, not built by human hands. In other words, Abraham is waiting for what God is going to do. And Abraham was waiting ultimately for God's plan when, when the city of God comes down to earth, when heaven and earth become one in a new creation. And he looked forward with eager anticipation. Even though he knew he would experience that himself. The more he interacted with God, the more he came to know how good and trustworthy God is. Now, don't get me wrong, and, and I would encourage you to come along to Wednesday night Bible study because we're working through the life of Abraham. Abraham is not this amazing man of faith every single moment of his life. In fact, if you read on in Genesis chapter 12, the very next thing he does is to mess up and to act out faithlessly. But his story is one of getting to trust God, getting to know God, getting to love God. 
obeying God and worshipping him. Abraham's story is obviously not exactly the same as yours and mine. Maybe God is calling you at age, whatever age it is, to leave everything behind. He doesn't do that for everyone. He did that for Abraham. Maybe he's not calling you to do that. Maybe you look at the story of Abraham and you go, my life is totally different to his. And yet the God who called out to Abraham, who commanded him and made promises to him, is the same God that we serve. Abraham's story is different to ours, but it is also the same as ours, because God still interacts with us. God still challenges us. God still says, will you do this? Will you love me? Will you follow me? Will you obey me? Will you risk trusting me with everything that you have? That's going to be different for each one of us at different stages in our life. And it's hard to let go of our security. I know how hard it is to let go of our security. And our security can be good things. Abraham had a good life in Haran. But he said, I'm going to trust that God has better for me. And so I think when I look at the story of Abraham, this, this first bit at least, the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we be like Abraham in that we will obey God's call on our life, whatever that is, whether it is to serve him here or there in Christian ministry, in mission work, in teaching, in surveying, in loving our friends and family, wherever God has called us, will we trust him and obey? And will we celebrate him when everyone around us thinks that the way we celebrate him is stupid or that celebrating this God is stupid? It would have been so much easier for Abraham to just go and join the locals down at the tree of Moreh. Instead of saying, no, my God is different. God has made promises to us which might seem as ridiculous as the promises he made to Abraham. Many people would say they're ridiculous promises. God has promised that he is with us always. God has promised that he is making a place for us. God has promised that he is coming back for us. God has promised that we will be with him forever. You say these things to people and they will say, that's stupid, why would you trust that? If Abraham had spoken to his family and friends and says, God has made these promises, he's going to make me a great nation, they'd look at him and go, mate, let me explain the birds and the bees to you. You don't have any kids. It's a stupid promise. 
And Abram said, actually, I'm going to trust this promise. And as he walked with God, he came to see that God is trustworthy. And even, even though some of those promises he didn't come to see for himself, his family did, and we did. God's promises to us might seem beyond us. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will make you into the likeness of my son. We are not like Abraham. Our stories are not like his. But they can be. If we say, yes, God. I don't understand it. I'm probably going to mess up a little bit because I'm still clinging to my safety. But I want to learn to trust you. Your promises, I don't see how you're going to make this happen, God, but I'm going to trust you. We're going to do a little bit of chatting together as we finish. Wayne, could you throw up the questions slide for us? I'll just throw it up there and right through where you are, socially distance. What does obedience and worship look like in your life? Remember, those are the two things that Abraham did. You obeyed God and he celebrated God. So how can you do that? Let's talk together. We've got, we've got five minutes to talk.